Welcome to the Running Explained podcast. I'm Elizabeth, a marathoner, running coach, and answer seeker. When I became a new runner at the age of 29, I had so many questions, but it felt like I was on my own to figure out all of the answers. So now I'm here to answer all your running questions to help make you a better, smarter, faster runner. There's no question too simple and no topic too complex. So let's get started. My guest this week is running coach Tucker Gross. Tucker was one of the very first guests on the podcast back when I launched it, all the way back at the beginning of 2021, and he has since become a very good friend and a coach that I greatly respect and admire. Tucker has a really accomplished resume. He's a marathoner. He's an ultra marathoner. You can read all of that on his website. But today we're getting a bit more personal and talking about deferring, DNSing, which means do not start, and DNFing, which means did not finish, when it comes to races and telling some personal stories along the way. Because the decision to not start or not finish a race is always going to be a big one. Tucker, welcome back to the show. I'm so excited to have you here again. Thank you so much for having me back on, Elizabeth. I'm excited to to be here. So you were one of my very, very first guests way back when, um, and I'm excited to have you back on the show because I feel like we 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 know each other just a- apart from the podcast as well, and I think we have some really good conversations. But for those listeners who may not have heard your episode um, and who are unfamiliar with your work, go ahead and tell us a bit about yourself and also give us an update about what's been going in the last year and change. Yeah, yeah. I came on. I can't remember what episode it was, but definitely in the early days before Single you, you episode numbers, yeah. yeah. <laughs> before you blew up and you were you were a big deal. So I'm not gonna say that it was my podcast that shot you into podcast stardom, but I'm not gonna say that it wasn't. So <laughs> but anyways, um it's been super awesome to follow along with with your work, your podcast, all the content you put out and to see you get rewarded for that and have such an awesome coaching business going. It's it's really exciting to see. So thanks for having me on again. Um, yeah, as you mentioned, uh, you know, I'm a running coach and uh, I have been full time for the past three years and it's uh, it's phenomenal. I, I really love what I get to do. Um, I'm, I live in the Denver, Colorado area. So getting to coach a lot of people out here in what I think is one of the best places in the world to to train uh, is really a, a great uh, luxury for me. And um, I also coach athletes all over the, the States and a couple internationals as well. So um, yeah, really enjoying kind of growing my coaching business. And uh, on a personal side, the last uh, six, eight months of my life have been a little bit of a roller coaster. I've gone through a, a breakup, a move, um, Let's see. I've been dealing with some some PT issues or some injury issues that I've been doing PT for um, on my my left ankle. That's been a kind of a pesky problem for for many years. Um, so that's been been interesting, you know, on the the personal side of of training, not really knowing where my future is leading me in uh, you know in in what events I'll be able to pursue and and things like that. So definitely been a been an interesting year, uh, both personally and athletically. But um, as I was telling you before we started recording, I just logged my uh, my first forty mile week of the year, so feel like I'm moving in the right direction, and really excited to toe the line at, at Chicago with you this fall and uh, see what we can do. Yes, I'm so excited about that. I also had one of my highest mileage weeks recently. I hit thirty eight miles 
which I hadn't hit in quite some time. So Tucker, I feel like I'm right along there with you uh, with this year, kind of having a lot of personal life stuff going on and then minor injuries, but hey, we're both headed upwards now. Um, yes. And I'll say, I mean, this, our conversation today is truly going to be a conversation. I have, you know, some guests come on and I like pepper them with questions. You're the expert. Tell me this, that. Um, but this conversation about deferring, DNSing or DNFing races is, I think, something that as a coach, it is one of the more challenging things to deal with when you are advising one of your athletes on the best course of action. But every runner at some point will be faced with a decision about should I stay or should I go? Either should I should I even do this race? I'm in the race. Should I drop out of the race? What is the best decision for me here? Um, and there are a lot of factors that go into this, but I, you know, I think I, I want to remind everybody, coaches are runners too. Like we are also runners. And I don't know about you, but like I I have a coach. Like I don't coach myself. Um, and that what we're doing, it's so much um having the personal experience of what we go through as runners, I think is what helps make us better coaches. But this is something that you know, every runner will experience at some point in their running career. Yeah, it is. Uh, it's probably a reality that everybody will face this. And we were talking a little bit earlier today about, you know, finalizing what we wanted to discuss on this, on this podcast. And, uh, you know, we were, we were a little hesitant to dive into this topic because I think it, it is a little bit heavier and there is this kind of like negative, connotation with like not starting or not finishing a race. And so I think it, it is an important topic that we discuss and to really talk about, okay, when is it the right call to defer a race? When is it the right call to not start? Or when is it the right call to DNF? Um, you know, there, there are certainly examples of, of when it is the right call, but on the other side, when is it important to, to push through? Um, I think we see a lot with with elite athletes, elite runners, there's this um, kind of trend of the top professional elite runners where if they're not having their best day, they'll pull the plug and they'll focus on the next race, which is understandable, but it's kind of become, in my mind, a little bit of a problem where it, it makes it more common and more, I don't know, maybe it's more... Uh, top of mind if somebody's like, well, I'm not having my best day instead of pushing through and seeing if they can figure it out, um, they just pull the plug. And so I think that could set a, a poor example for, for us amateur athletes, because there are some issues that, that we can figure out. And, you know, I'm more on the marathon and ultra marathon side. So I think with, especially with ultras, like you're going to face problems at some point and it's how do you handle those problems. And there are, there are plenty of examples of people that have had like serious GI issues or like dehydration or, you know, maybe not heat stroke, but you know, some, some heat issues and have like gone on to maybe not win, but have some really good finishes. So marathons, ultras, probably even shorter distances. Like if you problem solve, take a break, cool down, figure out your fueling, there's a lot of cases where you can push through and have a strong finish. And there are definitely the flip side is that there are some like, please don't even try your, the answer is going to be, no, you can't do this like rules for not even starting a race or when specifically you should be dropping out. That's really a point. You, good point. You bring up about elite um, athletes though, because 
one of the things that I sometimes say to my runners, if we're dealing with a, a situation like this, where maybe they're, you know, we're not starting a race they planned on starting or debriefing a race where they did um, DNF is that I say, don't worry, you're not alone. Every runner goes through this. Even elites do this too, right? To kind of humanize it and say, look, even the best of the best you drop out at mile 18 or mile 10, whatever it is. But I, I think your point of when you're racing for a paycheck and your body is your instrument, you know, marathons are hard. Half marathons are hard. Marathons are hard. And I do know that, especially when it seems like a runner is not going to make the podium or have the kind of race day they expected, there are some runners, and I think it depends on the culture of the club and, and the coach and who they are training with, who will pull the plug and say, I'm not going to put my body through that for to yeah. then need eight, four weeks of recovery when I could realistically go get a paycheck in three weeks if I wasn't right. so beat up. So that's a really interesting perspective too. Yeah, for sure. There is a lot of different factors that elite athletes have to consider. Um, but I, yeah, I think the mental piece and, and we can get more into this, but you know, I think one of the fears that, that we have as athletes and as coaches is if you, if you do DNS or you do DNF, does it make you more likely to do that again? You know, are you more likely to say the next time around, well, you have that kind of mental block of like, well, I, I can't get through this. I can't get over this hurdle. Um, but anyways, I'll put you on the spot. I'll interview you. When do you think is like the right time and place to defer? Good question. So before I dive into this, I want to kind of illuminate on some of the acronyms we're using. So deferring is when you are registered for a race and you change your registration and you defer to like the next year's running. And this happens, this is more common with larger races and especially marathons where you can say in advance and they usually have a deadline, hey, I, I can't do this race, but I'm gonna tran basically transfer. I'm gonna transfer my registration to the following year. I'm gonna defer a year um, and, and run next year instead. So deferring. Um, DNSing is do not start or did not start. DNFing is did not finish, right? So you either did not start or you started and you didn't finish. Deferring. When do I think is the right time? When is the right time for an athlete to defer? This is going to depend on the athlete. Welcome to the show. Or my favorite phrases, <laughs> it depends. Um, I think there are some pretty hard and fast, like rules about when it's important to like, Hey, you got to defer. And this is more about longer races and how close you are and the reason for the deferral, right? So obviously a big one, especially for some female runners, pregnancy. Like if you've been training for a marathon or an ultra or half marathon, whatever the race is, and you are pregnant now and you don't feel like running the race pregnant or maybe you've been advised not to, that's an easy deferral. Like it's no question. I don't think anybody would question the reason for that deferral and say like, but why didn't you decide to run a marathon six months pregnant, right? <laughs> um, <laughs> the other, the other um, one is injury. And this one's a little foggier because there are some injuries which with proper treatment can be managed and some which cannot. The ones that cannot are stress fractures primarily. If you've been diagnosed with a stress fracture and your race is in 12 weeks, eh, it's not happening. You need to defer. There's no way you're gonna be ready in time. Um, 
Other injuries I feel like are also like, you know, depending on how you feel, the severity, kind of the timeline. The other thing, and I'll, I do see this more often now, which I love the maturity that a runner can bring to the table with this decision, is to be in a place where they're saying, hey, I'm eight, 12 weeks out from this really big goal race. And I'm not where I want to be in my training, but I also don't think I have the ability to correct that in the time that I have left. So although eight to 12 weeks is not a very long period of time, you can still make a lot of things happen. But if you as the runner are looking ahead and saying, I've had a hell of a six months, I'm not near where I want to be for what my race day goal is. Um, and looking ahead, honestly, it's not going to get better then it might make sense to defer, especially if it's a big race, especially if it's a race where there's a lot of money involved, like the travel and and hotels and all of that, plane tickets. Um, it's never an easy decision to defer, but it definitely is the right decision in some cases. Yeah, 100%. Couldn't have said it better myself. Um, I think, and, and I deferred actually my first ever marathon. I was uh, I was actually in college. And, uh, you know, like many, well, I can only speak for myself, but I would imagine many, uh, collegiate individuals, uh, probably think that they are capable of doing more than they think. And I'm sure that I could have gone out and run the marathon, but like you were saying, I got to a place where I knew that I wasn't as prepared as I wanted to be to give it a good go. And so, you know, if my goal had been simply to finish, I could have definitely gone ahead and done it, but my goal was to really confidently run the race. I, I wanted to be Q, um, but as I trained, I knew that it was probably not going to, to happen. And so I decided to defer it. And it was a, a really good decision because I know that I wasn't ready. And had I run it, I think it would have been a big disappointment. Um, yes, I would have checked the box. I would have run a marathon, but I think it would have been uh, pretty discouraging and probably um, you know, would have lost a little bit of confidence in that, in that experience. So I think that if you aren't ready for it, it is a good decision. And there's also opportunities at, at a lot of races. I feel like where if they do have multiple distances, you can move down in distance, which is a good way to still have a goal race to pursue, but not the same distance. So instead of doing a full marathon, you do the half marathon, you're able to train adequately for those next few weeks. And go into it and have it be a positive experience instead of coming out of it and losing confidence or possibly getting hurt and all that. I will say if somebody is really set on participating in the race and they don't feel like dropping down in distance, that goal adjustment is I think a, re a reasonable option. Like you said, you knew, you know, you had a very specific kind of goal for your first marathon and you were setting out to do that and you deferred and it made sense for you in your, in the long term. There are plenty of runners who would say, well, you know, looking at how much time I have left, that big goal probably isn't going to happen, but I'd still like to participate. You know, I'd still, I still reasonably think I can prepare to run the distance and I'll just adjust my goals. And I actually have a, um, I have a story about DNFing a marathon when I didn't do any of those things, um, in advance. And, um, but there are many ways, like not every time you race, not every time you step up to the start line, does it have to be your best ever performance? There are many benefits to participating in races, even if it's not going to be your number one day. But I think understanding what you're trying to get out of the race, what you reasonably have time to do in your training and 
if you needed to change your goal and adjust your performance, what would that mean for you in your long-term development? And like, how important is this? I mean, for most of us, this is our hobby, right? It's not technically none of it. This is actually important, you know, but how important, how meaningful is it for you? You know? Right. I think, uh, you know, had that first marathon of mine been the Boston marathon, there's nothing that would have stopped me from, from towing the line. Right. Um, you know, even this past, uh, last October when I did get to run Boston for the first time, if I had even had a stress fracture, there's a chance I would have gone and walked it. Right. Because it was so important for me to, to do it. Now, obviously you and I are not doctors. We're not physical therapists. We don't have the ability to say to an athlete, like, oh, you can safely do this, right? Go to your doctor and figure out what, what they say. Hopefully your doctor understands runners because as we know, like many doctors will err on the side of saying, no, you cannot run for this amount of time. And sometimes that is or isn't the case. Sometimes you can safely uh, continue to run or maybe you can cross train through biking or some lower, um, lower intensity activities. And so, yeah, for me, like if the goal is, is so big that it's like, I need to do this event and I can safely do it. Even if it means I might make this injury a little bit worse, but, um, you know, it's worth it. I would still probably do it in certain cases. So it, it again, depends, uh, obviously as coaches, we never want to encourage an athlete to do something that's going to put them in danger of possibly getting hurt or making something worse. But if it is that important to you, you know, I, I would say that it's worth it. And I, for me, I mean, I think that the, the red line is the stress fracture, like I injuries happen commonly, right? It's about, are they managed or not? Is this getting worse or not? Is this, are you able to run? Are you actively dealing with it? Has your sports physical therapist signed off on your continued ability to train? That's very, very different from I'm in a walking boot, you know? Yeah. Yeah. So what about, I have a question for you. What if, what if you had one of your athletes come to you and let's say it's their first, a first time marathoner and they're saying, I'm so concerned. I won't be ready for race day. How will I know I'm ready? Maybe I should just defer. Great question. You're really putting me on the spot here. Um, well, I would say to that athlete, and I, I do say this to a lot of people uh, because I do believe it. I think that anybody can go out that, that is physically able. Anybody can go out and run a marathon. You can complete a marathon, um, assuming you know you're you physically able to do that. Um, anybody can run a marathon. I truly believe that. Uh, it might take you a little bit longer than, than others, but anybody can go out and finish the distance. I do think that so much of it is in terms of just completing a marathon is in our head. Now, is it the best thing for, for people to do? Maybe not, you know, it's going to, uh, really beat up the body in, in many, many ways. So there, it depends on the the situation. Uh, but if an athlete was to come to me and say, that they didn't believe that they were capable, I would go through their training and I would point out all the examples of, of reasons why I know they can. Um, and sometimes you do need to have honest conversations. And if I didn't believe that they were ready, then we might have that conversation and say, all right, maybe we should defer. But nine times out of 10, an athlete is prepared 
they just don't know it yet. And they might have had some some workouts or some long runs or or things that didn't go as they planned or they didn't feel as strong as they they wanted to. So reminding them that we're in the middle of training and you're not going to feel your best right now. And that's by design. You know, we're stressing the body repeatedly over and over again. It's only in the taper that we're allowing your body to really recover and get fresh, get sharp and, and be ready to complete the task. So just reminding them of of all the training they've done, all the reasons why I know that they're capable of doing it, um, I think would be my approach to hopefully reinforce to them that they can do it. I also believe that, I mean, barring, you know, an issue that would physically prevent you from completing 26.2 miles, I do believe that almost anyone with the right kind of training can safely, hopefully happily complete 26.2 miles. I think the, um, the issue really comes down to what pace are you expecting to hold over that distance? And that's, that's managing the expectations and making that race day plan, right? So if this is somebody who's thinking, I just want to finish, then yeah, we have all the time in the world to deal with, you know, necessarily there may be course limits, (laughs) but there's a great chance to do maybe a run walk strategy or a pace where they're really comfortable and they're, they're not really pushing. They're just enjoying the course and being on the course and having the experience of the marathon day rather than trying to push themselves to the absolute limit from a pace and effort standpoint, like that can come later, but there are many, many people who complete safely and happily complete marathons who are not the ones, you know, talking about going to Boston. Sorry, Tucker. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. I mean, it comes down to we're, we're all more capable of, of doing things than we give ourselves credit for. Um, so much of it is mental, so much is between the ears. So believing that you can do it is an important step. And as a coach, that's part of our, our job to help reinforce to our athletes that they are capable of doing things, even things that, that they don't think they can. Um, you know, I was having a conversation with, with a high school friend actually recently who we ran in, in high school together and we we're talking about the, the, the fitness test in the, in, in high school, uh, and running the mile and, he was asking me like what I, what I ran in the mile in high school. And I was like, you know, I think that was actually the only time I ever raced a mile. Cause I was more of an 800 guy. And I remember the time I ran 608, which is a respectable time. Um, but if you had told that high school aged kid that at one point in his life, he would be running 26.2 miles at that pace, I would have said you were crazy, right? I did not believe that was possible. I didn't even believe that was possible uh, you know, three, four years ago when I still hadn't broken three hours in the marathon. So, you know, you don't believe you can do something until you kind of get there. And so that's part of our job as coaches to hopefully help our athletes understand that they can do it. And here's all the reasons why. Um, but, uh, but yeah, shall we go into, into DNFing? Yeah, should we do DNSing and then DNFing? We'll do the order of operations. Yes. So, like, you've made okay, the decision call. well in advance to defer your race. You've safely, you know, deferred your registration to next year, and that's all squared away, and we don't have to worry about it. DNSing is when you uh, do not start a race that you had planned on starting, either that there was no deferral process, like you either just run it or don't, or you passed the deadline for deferral, and you either have to basically use it or lose it. This tends to be more of a game day decision. Like, uh, let's take it day by day, the week leading up to the race and see what's going on. 
this tends to be more of, um, I would say like an emergency call, um, or you can, de- I, you know, <laughs> I don't, I'm not the queen of DNSing, but I do tend to like over register for races. Let's just put it that way. Um, yep. I wouldn't say necessarily if you like blew off your local 5k fun run, that's necessarily yeah. DNSing, you know, but if you <laughs> signed up for a goal race and ended up at the last minute choosing not to participate, it's probably for a pretty big reason. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, I do think that, like you said earlier with, uh, you know, taking into consideration the, the costs of flights and hotels and all of that. Um, even like race registration, right? Their races these days are super expensive. So that might be a factor too. There's a lot of races as well that, that don't offer the option to defer. I feel like more and more do, um, but some, some don't. Um, so, you know, if you're worried about not being able to get your money back, like at the end of the day, your health is more important than, than any amount of money. But, um, yeah, I think it does come down to, are you going to, you know, are you going to hurt yourself long-term if you do start the race? And so that, that oftentimes, like you said, the, the line is stress fractures and, and those sorts of injuries that you can make significantly worse. If it's like a, you know, a hamstring strain that you've kind of been nursing for some time, like maybe you can start and, you know, I'll have sometimes plans with athletes if they're not hundred percent healthy going into a race, which does happen. Um, you know, we'll have a plan like, okay, this is our plan. If we're feeling healthy at the start, this is our plan. If we continue to feel healthy at mile, you know, 10 of a marathon or mile five of a half and kind of go through that. And if at some point the pain, you know, goes above a threshold of six, we say, all right, this is where we, we have the option to pull the plug. You either dial it back and see how it feels. And if it continues to feel bad, then we pull the plug and we say, nope, not today. Um, but DNSing like, I think it's, it's, it can be a really good call to make if it is something that's going to make, make you, um, you know, make an injury worse or, um, something that could possibly be, be a negative, you know, if you're going to toe the line at a, at a, at a race that, um, you're not going to do your best at, and that's going to hurt your confidence for your, maybe a, a bigger goal that you have, um, so, yeah, I mean, if you're doing a local 5K and it's a $20 entry, like DNSing is no big deal. But if it's a $150 entry fee with a lot of travel, like sometimes that, that can be the right call to, to not start. With threats to our nation waiting around every corner, adaptability is more important than ever. When conditions change without notice, quick strategic thinking is crucial. And with obstacles consistently impending, determination is essential in overcoming them. It's this willingness, decisiveness, and resilience that sets Marines apart. With our fighting spirit, we don't just fight battles, we win them. Marines are the constant our nation counts on to fight the unknown. And through adaptable problem solving, we do just that. Learn more at Marines.com. For me, so I've DNSed two marathons. Um, So two and in in the last, like, year. (laughs) Um, The only in the last year or so, but yeah, the two, the two big races that I've DNS have both been marathons. Um, one was last early fall and I was going through diagnosing an injury that one of the potential injuries was a stress fracture. Like we hadn't ruled out that it was a stress fracture yet. And I was coming up on race day and I was just feeling like garbage. And I was just so worried 
that if this is a stress fracture and I go run 26.2 miles on it and it was a hilly course up and down, I was worried the back of my mind, I'm like, I might break my leg. Like this is not worth it for me. It turned out not to be a stress fracture, it turned out to be a muscle strain, thank goodness. Um, but that was that was very real. I was like, that's not worth it for me. Like I I want to run nope. for decades. I, this is not one random race, is not worth it for me. Um, and then the other race I DNS'd was this uh earlier this spring when I was going through the motions of marathon training, because like I'd signed up for it and it's like at some point it just becomes rote, like you do two marathons a year and you know, just kind of always training mm-hmm. for a marathon. And I just wasn't feeling great, got some blood work done, had some like weird health issues. And I, I, and the stress of, of, you know, my work, which I love, but you know, it's just me doing all of this. And I kind of thought to myself, like, do I even want to be doing this right now? You know, like you have to want to train for a long distance race, not only to put up with all of the, the physical stress, but like the emotional toll it takes on you. And I was like, I just don't want to be doing this right now. I just don't, my heart's not in it. And one of the best decisions I ever made was just to not do that, to drop down my mileage, take care of my health and my stress levels and to come back stronger. Like I do not regret not doing those races. Could they have turned out fine? Maybe, you know, but I don't regret not doing them. Yeah. And we've talked a lot about injuries and the possibility of, of getting injured worse and having to take time off. But in your, your example here, like how about just digging yourself a deeper hole that takes you months and months to get out of by pulling the plug early and saying, I'm not going to start this race because my heart isn't in it. You probably were able to get back into some sort of consistent running even if it's just running for joy a little bit quicker, had you gone through and actually run the race, you might've lost that joy and, and love for running and had it not come back for weeks or even months. And I've seen that happen with a lot of people that are like super gung ho about pursuing these, these goals and objectives, which is great. Uh, but oftentimes they, they go all in, they go so hard for three months, six months and have a lot of success and maybe it's a year or two, but then all of a sudden they stop running and it's like, what happened? You know, all of a sudden you're just completely shifted to, to not wanting to run anymore. And I think you and I would both agree that we want athletes to be able to do this for forever, for as long as they can, as long as they want to. And, and hopefully that decision isn't made by, you know, an injury or burnout. It's made by them saying, you know what, actually, I, I really want to pursue something else, another hobby. Um, not having, you know, th- them get through a race and be like, man, I just don't love doing this anymore. Cause it's hard. It's really hard. This sport is not easy. It might seem simple. Just go out and run and, oh, it looks easy on Instagram though. It looks so easy on Instagram. Everybody's running easy without any issue. And, you know, you don't <laughs> see the, the mid long run meltdowns and like the, oh my God, everything hurts. Why am I so hungry all the time? And the doubts, mm-hmm. um, And I think it also depends, and this is where I know we're talking kind of more about marathons and ultra marathons, but even for half marathons and for really any race distance, it's important, I think, for, for you to understand you, the athlete, the listener, you know, how much of an ask is this race for you? Because I'm sure that there are many people who, if they had, let's say they were training for a half marathon as their goal race, but they're a relatively high volume runner 
who and had no issues just completing the distance, their decision might not be to DNS. They might just downshift and say, I'm just going to go out and actually just have a really good time and enjoy the course and, yeah. and not push myself. Whereas somebody else who's building up to the half marathon distance for the very first time, the training itself is so intense for them that they might not be able to, there is no downshifting, right? They might be downshifting to a shorter distance because completing 13.1 miles at any pace is just too much to ask. So that also that kind of perspective, how does this fit into where you currently are as a runner and what does this distance mean for you? And I think the marathon is the example we most often use in this because like very few people can casually run a marathon. <laughs> yeah. Um, and even those who can, it still takes a big toll on your body. So. Yeah, absolutely. And I also think it's important to say like, you know, I think it, it's really brave of you and I'll give myself a pat on the back to like share these stories too, because like, um, you know, I think people could probably look at your content that you post on, on social media and listen to your podcasts and, you know, just think that you're this badass runner running coach who, you know, has it all figured out. And, you know, you're sharing very openly, like that you're human too. Like we're running coaches, but we also have doubts. We have fears. We have moments where the motivation isn't there. Like just because you're a running coach doesn't mean that, uh, you're always like, super inspired to get out the door and run like we have low moments too we have days when we're you know the motivation isn't there or that we're you know struggling to to get out of bed or get out the door yeah and i thank you and i i hope that we can normalize this somewhat because it, it may seem like yes everybody's doing it except for you and that's not true um but i do want to talk about the flip side of the dns and barring we we talked about deferral right injury, illness, life circumstances, you know, not feeling prepared for the goal that you're trying to hit. I feel like for a lot of runners who put so much pressure on themselves to perform in a certain way that DNSing out of anxiety or fear of underperforming, like nothing's technically wrong, right? They just, they're like, I don't even, I know it's not gonna, I'm not feeling great. I'm just not gonna run. That I think is something that we actually should be potentially addressing and overcoming in a mindset skill um, to support our athletes and kind of push them to do things that are outside their comfort zone. Yeah. So let's get into the heavy stuff now. <laughs> We're going to go into the mental health thing here, aren't we? Because uh, I deal with anxiety and depression and it's definitely something like for me, I, I actually love flying but I do find myself, I get very anxious with like the whole flying situation. And so I've talked with like my therapist before about these sorts of things and about how like, you know, avoiding the thing that makes you anxious is not the solution, right? So if you're not starting a race because you have a fear, um, you have a fear of really anything, but I feel like for a lot of us endurance athletes, it's a fear of failure, a fear of not being able to accomplish what we want to um, putting a lot of pressure on ourselves. And uh, this might shift us into the DNF category. We can always come back to DNS. But uh, my one and only DNF was in my first 100 miler. And that was exactly what happened. And I haven't gone back for the 100 mile distance, but I plan to. And it is something that I'm a little bit worried about is that I've like, you know, I dropped out because of fear. And overcoming that fear is going to be something that I, you know, I'm really focused on here. But 
Um, you know, I, when I did drop out of, of that race, I was at an aid station and the race director was trying to convince me to stay in the race, trying everything he could to, to convince me to go on. And, you know, he kept saying, he was like, listen, man, you're, you're, you were running up that hill at mile 57 of an ultra marathon. Like if you're running up a hill in an ultra marathon, uh, at that point, you're physically fine. But it, I had just gotten to a point where I didn't want it. I did not want to go on. And so I think you're spot on. Like there are times where our brain is going to probably be telling us these stories of like what we can or can't do. And so it is important to find a way to, to push through. I was having a conversation with one of my athletes recently as we were prepping for their upcoming race and they had a, a very specific goal, which was a, I thought a very achievable goal, not something they could, you know, it's not a walk in the park, but it was definitely a, a goal I knew they could achieve, you know, all else being equal, having a good day, no catastrophes, that kind of thing. And they said to me, but what if I don't do that? Like, what if I can't do it? What if I can't hold that pace? And I, and I looked at them and I said, so what? What, what if you can't, what is the worst that can happen if you are slightly slower than you planned on being <laughs> right? Like, so what, you know, yep. um, sometimes we put these expectations on ourselves, which when you kind of like take the viewpoint of, of it, kind of take yourself out it and, and say, what's the worst that can happen if I don't achieve my A goal? You, hopefully you're not going to die. You know, you just probably run a little bit slower than you expected. And I've even gone through this recently, kind of going through a period where I am rebuilding my fitness. And I've been really gun shy about racing because I know I'm not as fast as I was previously. And it doesn't really feel good to go do things and yeah. say, yeah, I mean, that was good, but not as good as it used to be. And I just, I've been going and doing it anyways, because like you have to take the fear away. So what if I can't run as fast as I could? I will again, you know? avoiding it's not going to make it any better it's just going to like you said make that monster loom larger in our head and give it more power the more that we avoid it like you have to take the power away but i actually i want to talk about that mid-race dnfing but um because i've i've also done that but the, a lot meant racing is so mental <laughs> yeah that it's important for us to understand for many runners, I think they don't understand the difference between when they're fine, but scared and when they're not scared, but shouldn't race. Mm. Yeah, for sure. Uh, our mind can play some funny tricks on us. Right. And, uh, I think it, as the theme of this podcast has kind of been like, if it's a physical problem, it's worth really examining what the right decision is. If it's not, then try to push through. Um, and and in, in marathons and ultras, it's not just injuries. It could also be like, you know, heat exhaustion or dehydration, things like that could legitimately, if you continue on, uh, end up with you being in, in worse shape. Um, you know, it is the right call to to drop out. And, you know, there there is no race where it is worth dying or having long-term health issues over there just isn't. Um, and, and I'm the one that said earlier, I would run through a stress fracture at Boston. So maybe I'm setting the wrong example here, but you know, it's, there's really nothing that, that, that is worth long-term health issues. So if it comes down to that, then it is worth pulling the plug. 
for DNFing, I mean, I think like you said earlier, um, offline, the concern, and then I, I understand where you're coming from now with your ultra experience. The concern is that if I've seen how easy it is to just drop out, maybe I'll just keep taking the off ramp whenever I'm challenged in that same way. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, it's a legitimate fear that you'll, that you'll be more likely to repeat it in the future. But, you know, I think it's, it's like, like anything in training, you know, you, you have to expose yourself to those sorts of things. And so whether it is a workout that maybe didn't go well and you're afraid to put yourself on the line again, because it was disappointing to not be able to finish a workout or not be able to run it as fast as you wanted to, um, you know, it takes some courage to get back out there and do it again. Um, I also think, and we're, man, we're going to talk about like a thousand different coaching topics today, but, but it's great. Um, you know, I think it's important to like be able to divorce yourself from your race results and from even your like training paces. Right. And, you know, as you were early saying just earlier about how like you're not running as fast as you were previously, like there are different seasons of our life. And sometimes we aren't able to compete with our, our earlier versions of ourselves and that's okay too. Um, but you know, whether you run a sub four hour marathon, a sub three thirty, a sub three, whether you finish the race or don't finish a race, whatever you do on race day, like that does not define you. The people that care about you are still going to love you. And, uh, <laughs> on the other side, like I, I often tell like my, my high school athletes that I coach that are kind of getting overwhelmed with being on the the big stage and performing on a track race or a cross country race for like the first time. I'm like, nobody cares. Nobody's watching you. You think that people are watching you, that people care about like how you do or don't do today. Like they do, you know, your family does, your friends do, but like, they're not going to not love you just if you like don't have the day that you wanted to have. And most people don't even care. They're not watching you. <laughs> Yeah, nobody cares if you're not winning the race. <laughs> <laughs> Which is good, right? It kind of takes it takes some pressure off, right? If you realize that the pressure we're putting on ourselves, your family yes. will love you. Even even if you told them that XYZ was your goal and you didn't hit their goal, they're not gonna like love you less because you didn't hit that goal. Yeah. Um, and that was a big reason why I ended up DNFing in, in my one hundred miler last year was I think I built it up in my head so much. I knew that like I had given out the the tracking information to so many people and I knew that like athletes I coached were watching and you know my family and friends and I just built it up so much in my head that when like it wasn't going the way that I wanted and I was going slower than I wanted to and really just like built up this this performance in my mind to the point where it, it kind of like mentally broke me so yeah, I'm definitely I need to uh I need to learn from from what I'm saying here and realize that nobody cares. <laughs> the interesting thing you said about learning to push through workouts because I get a lot of questions about cultivating mental strength for race day. And yes, part of racing is having that mental grit. There is a huge mental component to pulling the best performance out of yourself. And one of the best ways to 
develop that skill is through your training. Every time you push through that final rep, you are cultivating mental strength. Every time you finished your long run, when you really wanted to be done five miles ago, you are cultivating that mental strength that all translates to race day. Like you train for the race physically and mentally in your training cycle. Yeah. Brick by brick, each one counts. And each time you push through a, a tough session, even if it's an easy run, right? And I can't remember where this conversation came from, whether it was a podcast or, or whatnot, but, um, you know, talking about how sometimes, oh, it, it was, it was uh, our good friend, uh, Sarah Manderscheid's uh, podcast. They were talking about easy running and how sometimes your easy runs can feel harder than your workouts. And, you know, my perspective on that is that running is hard no matter what right? You don't have any mechanical advantage. You're not on a bike, right? There's no, there's no coasting. I guess you can take a walk break, but no matter what, you are always 100% responsible for propelling your body forward through space, which is not easy. Every step you are doing all the work. Uh, maybe I guess a little bit less work if you're in, in vapor flies, right? But, um, you know, you're doing all the work, so it is hard. Even on your easy days, it can be hard. And, especially if maybe you've had a tough workout the day before or a tough long run or just a lot of life stress, you know, some of your easy runs, even, even those days might feel kind of crappy and that's all right. Um, there's, there's just a lot of points in training where, where things get, get tough. And even if you do have to take a walk break or you do have to take a little more rest between intervals or you do have to shorten a run or you do have to, um, you know, end a workout early, like just pushing through that discomfort, even just for a little bit is really, really valuable, especially over time. I suppose I'll tell my DNF story since you were kind enough to share yours. And so I want to, I want to give you hope <laughs> because after I DNF'd, this is my second ever marathon that I had signed, signed up from. I signed up for my first marathon. It's like, that went well. Let's do another one really soon afterwards <laughs> and train through summer in Florida where I was living at the time. And also I just started a new job that required a commute. <laughs> and um, uh, it was a two loop marathon that I traveled to and I like I did everything. I mean, knowing now what I looking back and just being like, Oh my God, Elizabeth, like, or what did you think was going to happen? I was, I went from running, you know, 40, 45 miles a week. I think I was running 20 or 25 miles a week in preparation. I like jammed my back randomly mm. a couple weeks before race day. And through this entire process, I never once decided to adjust my goal, which was BQ or bust. Mm -hmm. So I showed up on race day with zero adjustments to my plan, like one gel in my pocket, 90% humidity in the air and started just ripping an eight minute per mile pace. And by mile nine, I was toast. I was done. <laughs> like yep. I, that was it. That was my day. Um, I probably could have continued and finished the race. It would have been miserable. There would have been a lot of walking involved. And so I dropped out at the halfway point when, you know, like I said, it was a two loop course. And I just followed the half marathoners in and I burst into tears because I didn't really know at the time. Like, I think I was just hoping that I was going to pull out some magic on race day because magic on race day does happen. 
I was think yep. I was hoping for some race day magic, but there wasn't enough magic in the world for me to pull that off. And it was very emotional. It was very disappointing. And I realized at the time, it wasn't that I realized that DNFing was now an option. It was more that I realized I never wanted to be in that position again. I yeah. never wanted to show up to a race unprepared or with a like a too aggressive goal. Like I never wanted to be in a position where I couldn't continue. Not that I like, didn't want to continue, but where I was done. And I think it really it lights that fire of wanting to figure yourself out as a runner. Why did this happen? What could I have done better? You know, you learn so much more from the shitty things than you do from the good things. Um, that that I feel was a real catalyst for me in trying to understand the very beginning of my of my journey in this sport. Okay, what's going on here? How could I make sure that never happens again? Well, thanks for for sharing your story there. Um, I can definitely relate to a lot of that, and I I would agree that the the experience of DNFing was a really great learning opportunity. And so while in some ways, I think you and I both with those examples, we probably could have DNSed because we knew like we could have taken our own advice for this podcast. If only this podcast was out before these experiences, right? We could have, in your case, you could have said, well, I, I haven't had the training. I'm not prepared for this, I should drop down to the half. In my case, I I knew going to that race that my heart wasn't in it. And you can get away with that in a lot of race distances. You can't do that at 100 miles. You just can't. Um, so much of it is mental. So much of it is how, how badly do you want it? And my why and my, um, yeah, my heart just, it wasn't where it needed to be. And if I'd really examined that, I would have been able to make the decision that like it wasn't it wasn't the right time for me to do that. But that being said, I did learn a ton from it. I learned a lot about myself. I learned a lot about how to and how not to select a first hundred mile race. Um, I learned a lot about like fueling and and all those things. So in the end, it was a good a good learning opportunity, but uh, probably could have been prevented. Yeah, I think going back in time, if I had, if I could wag my finger at my younger self and say, uh, 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 um, I should have at least had the humility to understand that my goal was going to be aggressive, you know, no matter what, <laughs> right? That trying to BQ in my second marathon was a big ask, even if the training had gone well, like it took me a couple more years to get that, that goal, um, eventually, but that either, hey, you got to either adjust your pace, right? Just go out there and complete the distance or you drop down to the half, right? Both are fine options. But I really like what you brought up about your why. Like, what's your why in this, in in the event? Why are you doing this? And I think thinking back now about that specific race, my why was more about I told people that I was going for this big goal and I didn't really understand who I was as a runner yet and like exactly what I was aiming for and what I was trying to become and do. And so when I saw the only option slipping away from me, right? BQ or bust, that it was like, that was it. I was done. Excuse me. I just hit my microphone. That was it. I was done. Like my race was over. Either I was going to hit my goal or I wasn't going to, that was it. There was no in between. And 
that's one why race day planning is so important. But I think what we need a bigger why than just to show people we can do it. Yeah. It's got to be intrinsic. It's got to be self-motivated. It's got to be within you. Um, yes, there can be factors of wanting to do this to, you know, inspire others or, you know, especially like charity runners. Um, I think that those are great extrinsic motivators, but, uh, yeah, (laughs) you know, that at some point in most races, it's going to get hard. And if you don't have a strong reason why you you're willing to not just be uncomfortable, but like steer into that area of discomfort, um, you're probably not going to, to have a lot of success. I had a guest on um, earlier this season, Brittany Charbonneau, who won the Dopey Challenge races at Disney World. She came in first on all four races, four consecutive Jeez. days, which is just an amazing feat. Nobody's ever done that before. Yes. And she ran, I mean, it, they weren't PRs for her, but they were dang good times, sub three hour marathon, you know, not her fastest, but faster than most of us can run. And she was saying, if you go back and listen to this episode, which earlier in the season, she, of course, tells this story. But I, this is what stuck with me. And somebody who's done, you know, a couple of marathons at this point, like, I know what it's like to hurt in a marathon or just to hurt in any race. I ran a 5K recently where I wanted to bail a quarter mile in. Very hard. <laughs> um, and she said, you know, she was going through a challenge in the marathon. There was actually somebody ahead of her. She'd won races one, two, and three by this point. And she started the marathon and she thought she was in the lead, but there was somebody in front of her who was so far ahead that she couldn't see them. So when she asked the pacing, they're like motorcycle, you know, and the guy said, no, 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 you're in second. She's like, no, I'm in first. She's like, no, you're in second. There's somebody ahead of you. Um, and that was relatively early on. And she said, I knew I was going to have to work on the marathon. Like it, it hurts at some point. She said, I didn't have to, I didn't expect to work that hard that early. And I think that's the, and she did, and she won, and it was ended up being a very happy ending for her. But that's that expectation versus reality in racing. Racing's always hard, always, no matter what. And I think when we expect it to feel a certain way, like, oh, this should be relatively easy, or I should expect to feel this way, this good, usually it turns out bad because we're expecting to feel better than we actually do. Then our brains start to screw with us and say, why do you feel so bad? You said you thought you were going to feel better at this point in time. And now you have to work harder than expected. And now you feel like garbage. That I think is a really interesting concept about what we expect to feel like versus how we actually feel in races. Yeah, for sure. The wall is at at mile 20, right? That's where it always is. (laughs) No, it moves around. Uh, It can be anywhere. And that was definitely a, a factor in my DNF too, is that it got hard in the first 10 miles of a hundred mile race. And, and that definitely was challenging because I expected it to be like, oh, I've run 50 miles before it will be, it'll be hard, but you know, I'll be feeling okay. It's the second half. That's when it's going to get hard. You know, it's the last 40 miles. That's really going to get hard. And it got hard in the first 10. And I was like, man, I'm going to have to suffer for 90 plus miles and I just didn't want to do it. You know, I just didn't have it. The why wasn't there, but you're right. You know, and I think that that's a good learning opportunity for, for coaches and athletes out there is like, don't just plan for the best case scenario, plan for it to get hard earlier than you expect plan, you know, talk through what you might do if you're at mile three of a half marathon and you know, your heart rate's through the roof and your effort is high and it's starting, your legs don't feel like they're 
turn over the way you want them to, you know, plan through what you're going to do in those circumstances, because it's a reality that it could happen. Something I like to have my runners do when we make a race day plan is I, I make them list scenarios, like the things that could go wrong or how they feel. Um, because I say, expect something's going to go wrong or expect you're going to feel bad at some point because it's going to happen. Like, and if it never happens, awesome. Like you just had a unicorn race, but every race, even the relatively good ones, you're going to have a patch, a bad patch, a rough spot. You're going to have a stretch of the race that hopefully doesn't last the rest of the race, but sometimes it does, um, where things just feel crappy. And the weird thing is that give, if you give yourself enough distance, those patches seem to come and go. I mean, I've been in races where early on it felt, you know, felt fine. Then it felt bad. And then it felt fine again. And then it felt bad. And then it felt fine again, you know, (laughs) and that happens if you just stick with it, you don't really, you don't really know what's going to happen next unless you keep pushing. Yeah. I wish I, I knew who to uh, credit this quote to, but it's one of my favorites. It always, it doesn't always keep getting worse, right? If you keep going long enough, Things can turn around. You know, you might think you hit rock bottom, but then, you know, make it a little worse, but uh, doesn't continue to get worse forever. At some point, things are going to start to get a little bit better and a little bit better. You can go through lows and highs. You probably will. And uh, if you stick with it long enough, you'll probably come through that low point. Something I think, I think this is, since we're just like talking about other people have said, I think this is Chris McClung from Rogue Running who, um, said this on one of his wonderful podcast episodes about pacing and racing and all of that was that let's say you're in a race and you're, you're pushing, right? You're hurting. You still got a ways to go. You're not dead yet, but it's, it's starting to pile up and believe it or not, slowing down probably won't make you feel better. It'll just prolong your agony. (laughs) So why not just keep going? (laughs) Yeah. For it's sure. true. I've tested it out. It's true. Slowing down in a marathon just makes your agony last longer. <laughs> and I actually heard on a, another podcast, like you said, we're just quoting other people now, um, this, this idea of if you are in a race and you aren't feeling great at, let's say, your goal pace, try going a little bit faster. You know, maybe that will, and it's not to say like, your goal pace for a marathon is, is eight minute miles go like six fifties, but you know, maybe dial it down. Maybe you're just kind of stuck in a little bit of a rut and you can kind of spark something inside of you to, to get out of that. And you never know, try going a little bit faster and, and it might help you kind of push through that, that low spot. So interesting tactic. I've also not tried that myself, but maybe I will get to in Chicago. Um, of course, I think we'd be remiss if we didn't talk briefly about the ways that you, the reasons one definitely should DNF for medical reasons. I feel like this, you know, without without needing to be said, there are very specific medical reasons you would need to drop out of a race, um, especially in those longer distance races, severe dehydration, heat stroke, cramping that just won't stop, um, hyponatremia, which is when you overdrink plain water and actually has a lot of the same symptoms of dehydration. So you end up just continuing to drink water and then your symptoms symptoms don't abate. Under fueling is a huge one. You know, for many people, this is is what takes them out of the race and makes them want to DNF, even if they don't actually drop out. Um, 
having run under fueled and run fueled, it is so much more enjoyable to have enough glycogen available in your body to do what you're trying to do. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, uh, a couple good, uh, good rules to live by. If, uh, if you're peeing blood drop out, um, and also if your urine is, you know, very dark, that's a good indicator that you're probably, um, yeah. And if you stop sweating, if you stop sweating, find an aid station immediately. That's a problem. Yeah. Yeah. I would, I'd be interested to see the, the data on like highest percentage of hospitalized athletes. And it's got to be like hot, humid races, right? Like that's got to be the, the number one thing, right? Because like physical issues, it's pretty cut and dry. Like if you roll an ankle, it swells up, you can't move, you're done. If you, you know, break, have a stress fracture that you didn't know about and you run hard and you break a bone, pretty cut and dry, you're done. But like a lot of people push through when they're a little bit dehydrated, get a lot of bit dehydrated. Um, and all of a sudden you have some, some serious problems. I mean, I've seen a lot of hot, humid races where it's like endless ambulances in and out from like the finish area. So that's definitely a big one. It's not to say you can't race well in the heat. Probably you're not going to race as fast as you would if it were not hot and humid. Um, but I definitely think some special considerations like that is when you need to adjust your fueling and hydration strategy. That's when you need to adjust your goal pace. Um, yeah. You know, if it's going to be 75 degrees and 80% humidity, probably not the time for you to run a PR unless you've gained a lot of fitness in the interim. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. This is all about being safe. Right. And I think that's one of the most challenging things with all this is how do we, how do we push ourselves to our absolute limit in the safest way possible? And I don't think there is a cut and dry answer here. I think it it is about yeah. learning what that means for an individual as a runner. Right. It depends. We're back to where we started. It, it always depends. Right. And, uh, yeah, I mean, I, I don't know what, like how to easily summarize all of this, but I feel like kind of what we've said is like, if it's a physical issue that you're going to make worse by starting defer, if you can don't start, if you need to drop out, if you need to, it's not worth making something worse. If it's a mental thing or you know, maybe something that's physical, but you're not necessarily going to make it significantly worse by continuing on or by starting, then then try and push through. From a, from my perspective as a coach, I always try to keep my athletes in the race or like on the path to the race, obviously barring severe injury. If we can adjust the goal, let's start there, right? So if you're yeah. wondering, am I even going to be ready for this? Like, ah, blah, 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 blah. Like, all right, hold on. Let's just adjust the goal, right? Let's reshift the focus and say, well, if this was the original goal, maybe the new goal is this, right? And if that still doesn't seem doable, then maybe it is time to explore those other options of dropping down to different distances. Um, you know, the whole point of this conversation is to is to help you not have to DNF or end up in a place where you are DNFing because you've been able to make some smart decisions about where you are you know, what you're trying to do and how important this race is to you so that maybe you defer, maybe you adjust your race day plan and everything goes really, really well with your adjusted plan. Like that's, that's the best part, right? 
you can make adjustments and still be really successful on race day. Um, but I also want to let you know, like from a coaching perspective, as a coach, my number one goal is to keep my runners safe. I would so much rather them tell me they needed to drop out of a race because, you know, for their safety, then, then tell me that they pushed through and like get a text from the hospital. Like, obviously I would so much rather that happen. <laughs> just, just drop out. It's okay. Yeah. I mean, earlier I, I said, nobody cares, but like the end of the day, your family, your friends care a lot about you. Um, and if you do have a coach, your coach cares a lot about you too. And what do those people care about? They care about you. They don't care about your result. So they'd much rather you be safe. Um, Oh man, we've, we've talked for an hour here and I feel like we could go forever. Um, and I just had a thought on my brain that I was going to share and now it's, it's gone. But do you have any other, any other questions for me or anything? I think going back to the beginning of our conversation, Tucker, and how you, you claimed that you would willingly run Boston on a stress fracture. (laughs) I know you wouldn't. Um, I, I think it's really important, especially with the big races, the lottery races, the charity runner races, like the races where, oh my God, I, you know, tried to get into London for 10 years and I finally got in and now I can't run it. Like, I know that's disappointing. It's okay to be upset. We're not here to tell you like, this is just how it is. This is how life goes where it's okay to be upset about having to make a really difficult decision about this. It's okay to be sad and angry and disappointed with yourself and the world at large. Um, but at the end of the day, you have to do the thing that's going to be best for your health first and foremost. So I understand the allure or the draw of, I finally got into this race. I can't not run it. Mm, Well, we try to get you to run it. We try to get you to the start line. We try to modify as much as we can, but there are going to be some situations where you're going to have to make one of the hardest decisions. Right. I did remember my thought, but I wanted to follow up on something you just said there because, and we could go down a whole different rabbit hole here of, of like, the mental uh, side of, of being injured, but, um, you know, having coached athletes who have dealt with injuries and having been injured myself, you know, I do think it's, it's important to reiterate what you're saying there about how, like not being able to do the thing you love, whether it's just going out for a training run or whether it is not being able to toe the line at this race that means so much to you. That's a huge freaking loss. And it's going to trigger a lot of different emotions and feelings. And, you know, it, it you're going to be grieving that loss of being able to do the thing that you want to do. Um, so just be really, if this is something that you go through, whether it is having to defer DNS, DNF, any of those things, like be really gentle with yourself and understand that like whatever you're feeling is, is okay. And it's totally normal. And talk with other people because I know that was something that really helped me when I DNF'd was like hearing that, okay, this is something that many other people go through, not just the DNFing part, but the mental and emotional response to, you know, I don't like the, the F word here, but like failure, right? Having to deal with this failure, which it isn't, you know, you, you started you attempted this thing, but if you do drop out, it can be very easily viewed as a failure. And it's very easy to go into this kind of dark place of of beating yourself up about it. So be gentle with yourself. And if you need to reach out to somebody that 
has gone through similar experiences because I would guarantee that they would probably say, oh yeah, I dealt with similar things and it's totally normal. And I can't tell if it's that we don't talk about this because it's there's like a taboo against it, but like it is relatively common. Like everybody that you know, every runner that you know has either DNS or DNF'd something at some point. <laughs> and if they haven't, they probably will. Yes, exactly. They haven't yet. <laughs> My thought, I remembered it. Um, I feel like this entire podcast is a a good sales pitch for getting a coach too, because like these conversations are so much more likely to happen and so much more productive if you have somebody to talk through. If you're going through the the decision of do I defer, do I not start, do well, I guess if you're in the middle of a race dropping out, it might be hard to call up your coach and be like, hey, should I drop out? Um, although an ultra might be possible. Um, I've gotten texts but, from my athletes mid marathon before, so I know, <laughs> I know it is possible. possible. <laughs> yeah, we do have the technology. Um, but you know, just being able to have a coach to talk through this stuff with and make healthy decisions. I think that's one of the, the most, uh, beneficial aspects of having a coach and you and I are both coaches and we have coaches and it's really helpful to even just in training, have those conversations where the, the coach's main objective is, should be to keep you healthy, keep you safe as you were talking about there, right? Like that is their main priority. The athlete oftentimes is going to get wrapped up in, well, I need to do this today because I want to get that goal, you know, hit that time, do X on race day. Whereas the coach is going to be able to step back and say, hold on a second. We don't need to do this today. We can modify this because the priority is to keep you healthy, keep you safe, keep you happy. And if you're telling me that you're dealing with a little bit of you know, an ache or pain or something, or you're feeling run down or your motivation isn't quite there. Maybe it is the right decision to dial things back. So having a coach can hopefully help you prevent these situations from happening. But if they do, you've got somebody that you can talk through it with and make sure that you're, you know, you're making the right decision. Yeah. And coaches provide objectivity and context. And even when you know what you're doing, like I have a coach, Tucker, you have a coach, even when you know what to do, it's really hard to be objective with your own training, even when you have the knowledge and the skill set of what it takes. Like, that's why I don't coach myself anymore. I let somebody else handle that because it's so hard. It's so hard to have that lens um, and turn it in on yourself. And, you know, for I, I, so many people that I speak to, my athletes and just people in general, they have no problem with pushing themselves. They have no problem going, doing really hard, really challenging, really, um, uh, really demanding things, right? I don't question any of my athletes' mental fortitude or ability to push through. Actually, I would like some of them to kind of back off a little bit because we don't need to be working that hard that much in order to get your goal. And so allowing somebody else to come in and kind of say, hold up, you're actually doing too much. That's why you kind yeah. of feel crappy all the time. That is another reason to have a coach and kind of say, like, let's just do as much as we need to, to make this, you know, to help you reach your goal in a really sustainable way. And also like provide that, like I said, context about what's actually happening, not the story you're telling yourself, but what's actually happening along the way. 
Well, that's a really good segue into our closing, Tucker. Thank you so much for being here. I do feel like this time just flew by. And you, of course, are a coach. Tell us about your coaching and and what you offer and the kind of athletes that you work with. Time sure does fly by, especially when I'm chatting with you. Um, I coach a wide range of athletes, but I would say that I really specialize and enjoy working with, with athletes in the, the marathon to ultra marathon distance, uh, or in particular athletes that are moving up in distance. So whether you're moving up to first time half marathon, first time marathon, first time ultra marathon, uh, something that I really, really enjoy working with those types of, of individuals, but I, I really, you know, don't uh, discriminate. I like working with a wide range of different people. That being said, um, you know, I make clear to my athletes that I want to work with individuals that are inspired to, to be in this for the, the long run, you know, ind- individuals that, that do prioritize health and happiness for many years and want this to be a part of, of their life. Uh, not the athletes that are looking for the quick fix, the quick BQ. Um, I've worked with those types of athletes before, and we've had some good results, but, um, it's not my preference for sure. Uh, because oftentimes if you're looking for the quick results, um, in my mind, you're not really in it for the the right reasons. You're looking just to kind of check a box. And I really enjoy working with people that are, are into it for, you know, more of the, the lifestyle and the health benefits and, and all that. So yeah, uh, at training with Tucker on Instagram, if you want to give me a follow and, um, yeah, feel free to, to reach out if you're interested in any of my coaching services. Yeah, especially I me. Mean, it's so nice to know a, co- a coach like you who does not just traditional road racing, but also ultra marathon distances. Because I feel like a lot of coaches are kind of can do, you know, they're primarily road coaches or like they do ultras. There's not a lot of crossover, but there are a lot of people now who are looking to move up to those longer distances. They're like, yeah, I've, I've done a marathon. So what? Let's do a 50K and see what happens next. <laughs> yeah, I'm definitely, uh, I do think that I'm, I'm a fairly good runner. I'm not by any stretch of the imagination, a, uh, an excellent runner at any distance, but I am very good at a lot of distances, which I think gives me a a unique perspective. I, I do have a lot of range. I just recently, uh, have been getting into some track races. So I, for the first time in my life, I completed a 3000 meter steeplechase, which was a a ton of fun. I'm so jealous. That sounds awesome. Yeah. Yeah. It was super cool. Um, I'm racing a, a couple mile races in the in the next month here. Um, so I really enjoy some of the short, fast stuff, but I also really enjoy the the long, slower stuff. So um, it's cool to have that kind of perspective of many different uh, many different types of events and many different different distances. Yes, and a pro, this would be an entirely entirely different conversation. But for anybody out there who's feeling a little stagnant in what they have been doing recently run a different distance, switch it up. If you do marathons yep. for five years, drop down and do some 5k training, like make it fun, make it interesting or start doing steeplechase. That's awesome. <laughs> That's the main objective with this summer of, of doing some different stuff is, is fun. And also I'm carrying that over into Chicago. My, my a goal for Chicago is to have fun. So uh, I may still run fast and run for a PR, but my focus is on having fun. My A goal for Chicago isn't even a race goal. My A goal for Chicago is to get through my entire training cycle in a cohesive, healthy piece. I've never yet completed an entire marathon training cycle without issue. Something always pops up. It's like my A goal is not even race focused. It is process focused. 
there you go. Yeah. Well, we can support each other in our goals and see you in Chicago. I'm excited. See you in Chicago. I mean, I'll talk to you wait like a lot before then, but <laughs> thank you. Thank you for being here today. This is a great conversation. Thanks so much for having me. I hope you've enjoyed this episode. Don't forget, you can always find and follow me on Instagram at Running Explained. And if you're looking for a coach or a training plan, check me out. Visit my website, runningexplained.co. That's runningexplained.co. See you next time. This content is not intended to be a substitute for professional medical advice, diagnosis, or treatment. Always seek the advice of your physician or other qualified health provider with any questions you have regarding a medical condition.